Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through the legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trauma Trial Transformation from a beautiful beginning of summer, sunny California day. You know, I'm all about kismet and timing, and I am so thrilled to talk to my guest today. We have recently been introduced and met each other and immediately connected. I think she and I could probably talk on this podcast for hours. She started the signature, her her show was a signature show on the Mental Health News Radio Network. It's the world's first podcast network dedicated to mental health. The network features more than 80 independent podcasts, and I am grateful to say, as I think I've been shouting out from the rooftops, (laughs) that I am now part of this network. It focuses on how mental health affects all aspects of life, emotional, physical, financial, spiritual, now legal, downloaded over in 170 countries. She is the CEO of a behavioral health technology consulting firm that focuses on helping mental health organizations navigate through the world of electronic records. She is by far one of the most intelligent people I've seen around in such a diverse conversation on mental health. But what's really interesting is that I've gotten to know Kristen. She has appeared in court multiple times and uh, as a young person, so we had a lot to connect with in multiple facets. So today I want to welcome Kristen Walker. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. What a great radio voice you have, or podcast voice. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And ditto to you. I mean, we just were like, ching, 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 all cylinders firing on the show when you came on my show. So, yeah. I know. So, yeah, we're excited to continue to exchange shows and bring up issues that we can talk about from all aspects of shine the light on mental wellness and especially in the courtroom on my end, but on your end as well of just how to heal through traumatic situations. So I'm going to jump in here. So, you know, I want to start talking about your encounters, you know, with the legal system before we get too far into the network. So I know when we talked, you had talked about, you know, you testified a few times, but one of the times that I'm also very interested in is when you were young. So can you tell me about that? Sure. That scenario? Sure. This was 1982. This was regarding my biological father. And he was being taken to court by my mom to pay more child support and to also pay for my therapy because he was molesting me. And Mm. What was interesting was at that time, and you know, the listeners of your podcast, I'm not crying about this. I have done all those tears. I've just, I've been in so much therapy and I've done so much speaking about this. I can talk about it without, you know, going to those places. Mm -hmm. But at that time, you didn't talk about those things, especially if it was Mm -hmm. with a family member. And so, 
no one from social services investigated him. They investigated me at my school. You know, it was just, it was so bizarre. And so with court, I needed to testify in order to, you know, make sure that my mother, I mean, single mom, he was barely paying. I think he paid $110 a month in child support mm. and uh, certainly made an income that would warrant paying more than that, but refused to pay for therapy, all of those things. So I had to get up on the stand and it wasn't a trial where I'm going up against him and it's my case because that was not really, it was never even brought up that we should do that. Mm-hmm. It was so oh. bizarre. So I was there to say, yes, these are the things that happened and this is why I um, need therapy. And how old were you? Twelve. You were 12. So do you mind talking about that a little no, bit with me? not at all. You mean about what it was like in the courtroom and all those good things? Yeah, just what your, what your memory is of, you know, really walking in the room, what it was like at that age, any kind of prep that, you know, your lawyers worked with you on. Like, what, what, was, what was it just like walking in the room at that age? I was, I mean, at that point, I was very familiar with cognitive dissonance and PTSD, obviously. So I'd been living that. So it was that same depression. And really, it's like a safety fog that comes over Mm. your body to protect you when you are so flipping stressed out. So I all Mm -hmm. I just every saw everything kind of through a fog as I was walking in the courtroom and absolutely panicked about having to make Mm. eye contact with my dad just in a panic about even being in the room with him. I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified. I hadn't seen him in uh, a year or so since I had told my mom what was going on with him because I saw him every other weekend. So she had no idea, but um, it was terrifying to walk in there and just, I remember thinking just, it being so jarring at how cold everything was. Right. Emotionally. Right. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Just like, oh, wow. Lot. Somebody somebody came in and sucked all the empathy out of this room. You know, that's mm-hmm. what it felt like. Yeah, I do hear that a lot. So when you so when you actually were in the room, because I, I, I can relate to like, you know, you and I have talked. I can relate to that. I always call it the when they say an out-of-body experience, yeah. you really can have an out-of-body experience. And, you know, I've always seen myself like up in the corner of a room, like looking down, which <laughs> going through my therapy, I realized that that is a protective, you know, mechanism as well. Of course, dissociation. You, yeah. it, right, disassociation, because, yeah, you've got to just really protect yourself. But in the moment when you were actually up there talking, did you kind of feel like you completely went out of your body? Did you feel like you just kind of like just... You know what I remember? Whenever I get really uncomfortable, my, my I had a nickname as a kid, Kiki, and that meant armpit. I was known for being super ticklish in my Kikis, right? <laughs> so I also, when nervous, get feel like red ants have crawled directly into my armpits and are biting me and I, oh, wow. and to the point where you can't not do something about it. So I remember mm-hmm. sitting there listening to this attorney and just of his attorney grilling me and just the 
itching. I, I was just, I just remember, and you know, I, I was helpful mm. because I would have passed out had that not happened. Yeah. I totally would have passed out. So, you know, when you talk about this grilling, you know, did, did your attorney prepare you for any of that? No. Especially as a kid? No, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I don't think <laughs> this is why I'm a podcaster and I do what I do, what I do. They were not prepared in any way. And I found this out later, a couple of years later from my mom, that her attorney and certainly my dad's attorney were not prepared for me to speak so much like an adult, so eloquently, you know, all, mm. like I really had the, that down. I know I didn't practice that. That's just, that's just how it was. I think, and really it was mm-hmm. because of the therapy I had been in. Thank right. goodness. So I, at, in speaking, I talked about things that his attorney did not want me to go into because they really I didn't bet. have to do with the money. And so there was a lot mm-hmm. of shutting me up and that felt mm-hmm violating uh it mm-hmm. felt dismissive it felt like it just felt awful like i felt so completely diminished already feeling diminished because of mm-hmm. that right and so the, your attorney was kind of thrown off by that not Absolutely. knowing quite not what knowing quite how to emotionally help you is that is that correct oh that, there was none of that there was none yeah. there was no preparation there was nothing and and then when we went on break my dad who also was not expecting me to say anything more than hey or whatever he was expecting i don't know he took off never showed back mm. up for the rest of the afternoon took off split gone, gone from my life because he was going to go be up next. Right. Right. And that's, that happens a lot of times too, when it's the truth comes out, it's a very tough thing to face. And most people don't realize, you know, that's what you're there for, right? You're there to tell the truth. But there was no sexual assault registry and all, you know, there was nothing like we have Mm -hmm. now. So, I mean, he got off so easy compared to today. Yeah. Oh, well, but that's, but still there are children that are having to face Absolutely. their accusers and their abusers. And um, so did, after you left in this, this traumatic situation, what did you get any help? Well, I was in therapy thanks to my mom already. So we definitely did the full download. And I will say this to anyone listening. I don't know why, because I don't know how prevalent it was in 1982 to have dogs in a courtroom, but there was a dog there clearly with mm. someone who was you know, allowed to have a dog there. That dog saved my emotional well-being because just wow. because I could pet it. That was so Mm -hmm. tremendous. It was amazing. So I just had Mm -hmm. to throw that in there, that if you can work with a guardian ad litem that has a therapy dog or anything like that, that with kids and adults too, but especially kids, oh, what a lifesaver. Because I cried into that dog's neck, that kind of, you know, violent body shaking cry. And I I don't know what I would have, I would have had to just hold all that in if that dog wasn't there. Wow. Yeah, I know there's an organization, I think, down in Orange County that helps kids. I'm, I've been researching this, trying to find them. If anybody knows anyone like this, please reach out to me at info at juliethuck.com. But I'm, I'm very fascinated by the whole healing process of animals mm. and 
Tremendous. This, you know, there's a whole, there's so many, there's so many aspects that we just don't even think about for the courtroom. It's just crazy. So going through therapy and then moving on in your life, did, did you appear again in court? I did for a friend going through a horrible, horrible, I have a few times. There were, all the other things were for other people, but the one that stands out is a friend of mine that was going through the most horrific divorce child custody case mm. I have ever even heard of, you know, $500,000 attorney fee case, just, oh, so I, I wow. had lived with her for a short while and I testified about her mothering skills. Oh, wow. And so we prepared for that at all, or did they just kind of prep you for that? You know, I wasn't prepped because her lawyer had said once we got there, you know, I don't think I'm going to need you, da 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 da. So we're not going to worry about it. And then somehow I had to hightail it back to court because we were going to do it. And I was cut mm-hmm. off so many times by his attorney that it was just, I did, I think I went, eh, the, with with every objection, that's about all I got out, you know? And so it was deemed not worth anything anyway, because I really was not allowed to speak. But the experience of it was, you know, it brought every, I I went, ooh, okay, I'm having a flashback right now, you know, to 12 years old. You just were going where I was going. (laughs) Did it take you back? Going right where I was going to ask you. So did it bring up all that feeling again? And did it bring up, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, but It brought up a lot of um, shame around, and I, but I was old enough to know. I mean, this was in my 30s at that point. So I was old enough to go, okay, so this shame that you're feeling, thank goodness for, you know, great therapists, this shame doesn't have anything to do with this case. This is this is other shame that you're carrying that probably most of it didn't mm. belong to me anyway. It belonged to my dad, but I, I, as soon as the other attorneys just started hammering me, I, uh, I went right to, Oh, this is what happens when you use your voice. Uh, you should just mm-hmm. shut up. If you would just be quiet, none of this stuff would happen. Blah, 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 blah. That kind of, that kind of internal dialogue, but I still was able to go, okay, feel what you need to feel that shame is not about this. You're okay. Keep your feet on the ground. I just kept my feet solidly on the ground. I took my shoes off at one point behind the thing oh, wow. and just sat there with my feet on on the wood that I was, you know, on the little seat I was in. That's a beautiful mindfulness exercise for those listening that yeah. to get grounded. Tapping that's, that's helps, that- like just beat your, drum your hand quietly, you know, on your leg, anything yeah. that you can do to like keep you from going down the road to passing out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think we talked about this on when I was a guest on your podcast where Scarlett Lewis, that she said this, you know, second worst day of her life. First was her son being shot in Sandy Hook. And the next was that she had to testify because she uh, literally thought she was going to pass out. She just thought she was going to just lose it. And and I, I, I asked you the question because you're, you know, in the mental health arena and especially with the networks, like, why do you think this has been, this area has been so overlooked? Like knowing how traumatic that situation could be, like you said, you're, you're so stressed that you're on the verge of passing out. And this has been so overlooked in the legal system. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think that the legal system, you know, is, is old. It, we're talking, you know, 
hundreds and hundreds of years. We have developed this <laughs> system and started in, you know, m- countries that are not the United States and we adopted some things and created our, I, it's just, it's an old system and it's an old mm-hmm. system that doesn't lend itself to being upgraded And it certainly doesn't lend itself to feelings because feelings get in the way of your (laughs) testimony, your ability to remember your blah, 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 all those things. That's what you're told anyway. And, and so having to stop and have patience, you know, it, it, it doesn't like, it doesn't even work. Like when I watch attorneys work, when I've gone to court with other people and I'm just there holding their hand. It doesn't lend itself to even your own attorney doing their job well. Like mm-hmm. you can almost feel betrayed or feel betrayed by your own attorney because how they're having to be in order to get right. you the best representation at court. You can walk away going, I, I feel like my own attorney has you know, abandoned Mm -hmm. me or threw me under the bus. And really, they just know the system and how to make it work. Well, that's, that's a fascinating part to me has always been that, like we've talked about, and before in our in our conversations of just like how the legal system is so the opposite of human nature. Yes. And how it's like, okay, you've got this, you've got an advocate who is this person who's out there fighting for you. But that person standing up there cannot look weak, cannot look emotional. Yeah. And if it is, it's very calculated. And it's not, I'm not saying, as I've always stated, this is not about bad lawyering. This is not about that. This no. is about helping, you know, from a mental health perspective, an emotional perspective, people that aren't wired like that to get through it. And like I said, I've worked with some really, really great, amazing attorneys. And I've, I've worked with others that are just like, just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And it's like, why? Why? And I, you know, I go back to my four-year-old, which I used to drive my crazy mom, my mother crazy. Why? Why does it right. have to be like that? Why does it, you know, why do we have to do it exactly the same way? And I knew it just to drive her insane. But I do ask that question of why is it so you look so weak or you look like you're not telling the truth if you're emotional, if you were, or um, if you're you know, too, you have to like, be so stoic. Look at that woman in Australia. Too stoic. Yeah. Look at that woman from Australia who's ding, a dingo ate right. her baby and she was stoic. Right. She got punished for being not emotional enough. So you can't right. win. You know, it's, you know what it makes me think of with, with what's needed in the court system. And of course, you and I have talked about this, but you know how movies and TV shows have intimacy coordinators mm-hmm. and they've just made yeah. the whole thing around sex scenes comfortable. Right. Talk about right. it, do it, prepare ahead, prepare after when an actor leaves a movie and they're into this right. character hat, let's step down from that and get you integrated back into real life. We need that, but with mental health coordinators inside the court and in a room waiting Absolutely. for you as you walk off out of trial and come in here and let's do some EMDR yep. right now, you know? <laughs> yep. Well, that, that's why you and I hit it off so quickly because I've, yep. I've been such a strong believer. Like I always said, I was like, hello, testify goodbye. It's like, what, 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 what is it that we're not doing to help people, especially young people? When I go back and look at, you know, you're 12 years old. I mean, <gasps> as I've talked about multiple times, you know, kids that have to go testify against parents or, George Floyd, they they witnessed something, you know, it's like, what, what is it that we're able to, to help do? I mean, and I, I still working on doing research on why can't we have a 
calm mental, you know, space in the courthouse. Like, why, why can't right. you go there before you go into trial? And, you know, and so, you know, I've had quite a few people like, you're not going to change the system. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's just never been my mantra. Yes. <laughs> it's like I, yeah. I've changed too many systems to to not want to try. Oh, or at least I had talk the biggest it. Oprah's favorite addiction recovery s- specialist on her show all the time tell me when I created the network, don't don't call it anything to do with mental health. First of all, and I think that you should turn it over to me to run because clearly you can't, you go up and down with your weight and you're a woman. So clearly you're not capable of running something like this. Mm. And this was from a counselor. And I was like, you know, speaking of Oprah, uh, she's a woman. She's also a black woman and she Mm -hmm. doing it all good. So I think we're going to not listen to your advice. (laughs) Right. She's Yeah, I, I have my different different opinions of different people like that in, uh, in those spaces, but I I will save that for another show. But <laughs> come on, I, my I, show, I, I tell me. <laughs> yeah, I'll come on. I'll come on your show and tell you how I feel about Oprah because I, I I I have a huge you know. I mean, she went through you know. It's how Doctor Phil came forward, right? Yeah. I mean, she had to go through that, and, and I don't stargaze over Oprah. It just was an interesting example of yeah. So it's a perfect example. But she I'm, started a network. Right. Well, no, but not only that, I, I, you know, she's had to go to trial. She's been a famous person that's had to, you know, that's how Dr. Phil, that's how jury consulting came forward. I mean, it it does, there is progression, there is change. But speaking of, you know, let's kind of walk into your network a little bit. So I knew you were kind of like, you know, told not, it's not going to work, which (laughs) another conversation you and I had, (laughs) you'll never make it in high school. You'll never make it in college. Oh, you've run a, you know, multi-million dollar business. Oh, I guess that's still not enough, but you know that. Sorry, that was my story in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> but okay. it sounded so much like it's always sounded yep. much like your story because yep. you were told not to. You know, so, so what gave you just the oomph to like get out and really want to you know start this this network? You know, I had done I was had done my podcast for you know a long time, and I kept getting. Um, it was really my guess. I had people that would come on and they would co-host with me regularly. And I'm a really good sharer of, of the mic Mm -hmm. and come on uh, repeatedly on the show. And I finally, like five of them came to me and said at around the same time, this was like mid 2016 and said, Hey, we want to have our own podcast. And this is before, you know, people really, people were still going podcast. (laughs) that's going to be nothing. Why would you waste your time, you know? And so I said, okay. Well, I said no forever because I was like, that sounds like a lot of work and I'm running this company and I do this show. Like I can't, you know, so I said no forever. Then I finally Mm -hmm. said yes to those five shows with a lot of grace of, look, I'm okay with messing up my voice, but I'm really nervous about messing up your voices. So you better be very forgiving. And they were. And um, our goal was to have those five shows on the air live and doing their thing by the end of 2016. Or by, I'm sorry, by the end of 2017. And we had 18 shows by August of that year. Wow. So it just... 
you know, it, it took off. There was a need. Exactly. And I have been about using your voice and speaking about what I've been through as a kid and all these things since I was so young that it just made sense to me to also be like, hey, you got a voice, you want to use it, I'll help you. Let me help you use your voice. And I have people that, you know, they have three listeners and I have people that have three million listeners. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me because three right. people could can be helped just like three million people can. Right. I remember uh, one of my mentors saying, it's it's not the ones that don't end up showing up. It's the ones that do. Yeah. <laughs> it's the ones, those are the ones you don't count on like, oh, there wasn't that many people in my and this and it's like no, but there was those ten people. That's and right, and look the at what they did and you're, out of that. Right, yeah. And you've been really so. What what have you found the most rewarding with the network or healing? Oh well, being able to share where I'm at because I don't just do Q and A with guests as you experienced. I mean, we talk. It's a back and forth mm-hmm. conversation. So right. the ability to have this very focused space and time to just connect with another human being about a deep, often painful topic, just it not only supercharges uh, their growth. Sometimes I'm not lauding myself as a host, but sometimes they have, you know, that supercharges them, but it really supercharges me. I've had so much spiritual growth and better mental health care of myself and patience mm-hmm. for other people, not instantly getting angry at someone who cuts me off because I know from a guest that I spoke to that was in a shooting that they had an altercation with someone who shot them. And then when they found out the whole story of what led the person to that place, I was just drowning in awe at the forgiveness level of this person to be caring and wanting to know why that person got to the place where they shot someone else over a car thing and what the mental health issues that were going on. So it's expanded my empathy, mm, Excellent. which I think, excellent. I think that's a, like a desperate need right now is everybody expanding their empathy. Yeah. Compassion, empathy for sure. And it's like that, ability to just kind of get out of your own shoes and start to understand what that person's going through sitting in that witness chair or sitting in a horrible situation. And how do we reach a hand out just to be like, are you okay? And, you know, I've had to work with witnesses in that capacity. And I know a lot of, you know, really good people in the system that try to do that. But like you said, the system is just so it's a long so slot in. It's a Sisyphus really pushing that rock in. up a hill. Yeah. That's what it is. And yeah, it's and it's a boxed in scenario <sighs> that you just don't have a lot of wiggle room with it. But so, you know, I know you mentioned, because I like kind of ending up here on a positive note as well. You mentioned up you had a really great experience with a judge at one point in time. Can you tell us about oh. that? I thought that was a great story. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And I had to rethink, like, how many times have I been to court to know what stories to share with you? But yeah, great to do this too, because as your listeners have heard, I didn't have a great experience with my biological father, but my mom remarried, married my stepfather, and he was everything my biological father was not and more. And at 38 years old, I asked him if he would legally adopt me 
And this is not, you know, he's a teacher, so it was not for his mm-hmm. pocketbook. <laughs> Sadly, it should, mm-hmm. should be. He's a teacher. <laughs> but anyway, it was, I just wanted to take his name. I wanted to, anyway, so we went to court. We did the whole thing. And we were in family court. And my dad, I call him my dad now, so this is stepdad, um, stood up and said, you know, my daughter Janine passed away a couple years ago of breast cancer, so this is very meaningful. He broke down in tears. I got up. I said my spiel, but I don't even remember what it was, but I said my thing. And the judge and the clerk of the court and the deputy and everybody there was crying. And then the judge had Mm. made us come behind into the chambers and take pictures and all this stuff. And he said, thank Mm. you. You have no idea what I hear every day, what I see all day long. And to have this bright spot, I just, and then he just started bawling. And of course, at that point, we were like ugly crying in the corner. (laughs) It was, but it was wonderful. So happy cry. Yeah. That was the only time I wasn't nervous being in court. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, that's why I like to shine the light on too, that there are, there are very emotionally supportive people, you know, the, the secretary or the, you know, yeah. they maybe not so much because their job is to, you know, to really hold down the court, but there's a lot of good, really good people around in the process. And it's just having that moment of, like you said, empathy, you, you know, it's from the heart, right? It comes from the heart. Are we listening? Yeah. But are we listening? I like not just yeah. listening, but are we hearing the sadness or the pain or the trauma and the stress around you know testifying? So to to see that side of it, I just I want to end on that really great note because I know there's a lot of also really positive stories out there. Yeah. So Kristen, where do people find you? Anybody can Google Mental Health News Radio, and that'll get you to the network easily. So that that's probably the easiest way. Just Google Mental Health News Radio, and, and there's us and all of our shows and people like Juliet doing just incredible work. So it's a wonderful thing to be the, the steward of people doing amazing stuff in the world. Well, you are a bright light in a very needed scenario because especially now and there's so many amazing topics i mean i've just been going through first responders and children and autism and i'm just so proud to be part of such an amazing positive energy community um that you've built it's really come from you so i mean it's it's a you should give your pat on the back there it's a it's a really brilliant wonderful thing you brought into the world so i want to thank you so much for being with me today. I look forward to continuing this exchange and really giving up your own personal experience because I know it's not always easy to talk about, but it's always, as we say, you know, healing happens when we share our stories and that's where uh, I appreciate you very much doing that. So uh, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, everybody just want to thank you for joining me today. You know, just don't forget to go out and have some empathy and uh, spread some love. Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find her books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts.